This is on, right? Check, check. Check. All right. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Or just keep talking, either or. It's up to you at this point. <laughs> Matthew chapter 13, if you turn there, please rise for the reading of God's Word. There are no announcements this morning, so I'll read, pray, and we'll jump into the text together this morning. Let's hear the Word of the Lord together this morning. I'll actually cover chapter 13, 1 uh, through 9, but I'll continue on into 18. I just won't read 18 and the following just for the sake of time this morning. This is the Word of the Lord, Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and a great crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up and since they had no depth of soil but when the sun rose they were scorched and since they had no root they withered away other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them out other seed fell among good soil and produced grain some a hundredfold and some 60 and some 30 he who has ears let him hear this is the word of the lord you may be seated. Let me pray for us this morning and we'll jump into God's Word this morning. God, as was already said from here, sometimes it is difficult for my heart to see You for who You are. That is a good, good Father. He's done so many things for me, been so faithful to us, and yet, God, if I'm honest, I often doubt that. And I pray, God, that you would continue to work in my heart. Just like the Father said many years ago to your Son. God, I believe, just help my unbelief. So I pray that for me. I pray that for anyone who is here this morning. And now, God, as we look at your Word, I pray that your Word would stir in us and would move us closer and closer to becoming what you've asked us and called us and commanded us to be. And that's holy for you are holy. So only you and only your word can do that. And let us be open to that this morning. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. I'm going to give you a little uh, opening into my own world, my own life. Uh, you, you know I've said this many times in the last few weeks. I, I tend to uh, jump into a book of the Bible and just go verse by verse by verse. And we have not done that for uh, over a month now. And Here's the reason we have not done that. I'm really close uh, to choosing a book, but this, this is how I choose books of the Bible. I always want God to stir in me first and foremost. So if God's Word and what I'm about to spring and study to you has not stirred something in me, that is not a good sign. I promise that. I'll give you all of my head and very little of my heart. And so, in these last few months, I've just been asking God, God, what do you want me to teach? And reading His Word, and studying His Word, and 
it, it has oftentimes felt like a dry and parched land in, in that regard. Uh, though I read, though I study, though things happen, it just has not grabbed my heart the way uh, James did and the way First John did. And I don't want to do you a disservice in that. But I believe, unless something changes, between now and next Sunday, we will be in 1 Corinthians, and we'll be there for almost a year uh, and looking at it. God is beginning to do some stuff in my own heart around that book, uh, that letter to bring to you. So we most likely will be in 1 Corinthians uh, for, the, the, for the next year or so. So begin to read that, uh, study on your own, um, but that feels like where God is leading me. Um, this morning, uh, this comes out of our time together Wednesday night. If, if you don't um, aren't able to or haven't joined us on Wednesday night, I would uh, highly recommend that. that. That's a time for us to really get intimate together around God's Word uh, in some unique ways. And uh, for me, this is where this passage this morning comes out of because of our time on Wednesday night. This is the verse that we looked at Wednesday night, studied and talked about. It comes out of Colossians. Paul wrote uh, to this church. This is what he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. He says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The word that really jumped out for me, and I believe for us, if you were there on Wednesday night, was this one little word, rooted. We talked a lot about that. What does that mean and what does that look like? And the, the Greek word literally means to be fastened to or held close to. And just as I left Wednesday night and began to pray and seek the Lord, uh, one of the things that we even talked about on Wednesday night was this passage in Matthew. So that's where we're going to spend our, our time this morning. So Matthew 13, uh, here's kind of... Remember, I say this all the time. We you got to know the the, the context to, uh, to understand the text. So here's the context of the passage. So Matthew chapter one through Matthew chapter twelve is all about a Jesus who is saying to the people, "I am the King." Right. The greatest sermon ever preached was in Matthew five, six, and seven, and that was really a manifesto about Jesus saying to the people, "There's a kingdom coming." And I'm the one that established the kingdom, and I am the king, and this is how you are to live in my kingdom. That's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then he goes on through 8 through 12 to begin to show his power of what it looks like for him to be the king in the kingdom. And that power is all his miracles. But now there's this transition point in the book of Matthew in 13 where he says, this is who I am, this is the power that I have to do it with, and now this is what I'm going to show you of what that kingdom looks like. So chapter 13, he begins to move in transition to say, hey, now I'm about to establish this kingdom, and now I've got to show you what this kingdom is. So 14 all the way to the end is really Jesus preparing his hearers that he's going to go and die for the kingdom that he's established. That's kind of Matthew 101. So in Matthew chapter 13, there's that transition moment in his teaching, in his earthly ministry. And in Matthew chapter 13, there's eight parables. And the eight parables are about the same exact thing. 
the kingdom of God. And so this morning, the very first of all of those, the, the first four are kind of grouped together and the last four are grouped together. Uh, the, the first uh, four really have to do with what does it look like for us to be in the kingdom? What does that look like for us? And then the last four is what, what will it cost us to be in the kingdom? Right? The, he ends it with, the, one, of the, one of the ways he ends it is, the pearl of great price. What are you willing to sell? What are you willing to give to be in my kingdom? Well, here in chapter 13, he's going to talk about that this morning. He's going to talk about it through a very familiar way to the people. It's a farming analogy. It's about what we talked about on Wednesday night. It's about being rooted. Well, what is it? What is it has to happen? Something has to happen for something to be rooted so it can produce something. So Jesus gives this parable, and a parable is simply this, an earthly story with heavenly power. And so the question you've got to ask yourself, the question I have to ask myself from this text is twofold this morning. The first is where do I, and that's why I have these chairs up, and I'll walk us through what these chairs have to do with, where am I sitting this morning? What seat am I sitting in this morning based on the text? And then based on that, what am I doing as I sit in the seat that I'm sitting in? Because we can come to this passage and simply hear it pronounced, hey, which one of these are you? Which soil are you? Because so, here's the promise. All of you, if you've sat in this place long enough, You've all heard the word of God. So there's been seed that's been scattered. But what soil are you this morning as you receive the word of God? And then the last question is, what am I doing with the word that I've received? It's not just simply I get to receive this word, but the, really the crux of the passage is this. That you are to do something with what you've heard. But there's a great promise in this passage that can be so missed. But the promise of the text is this. If you and if I receive the word of God and I walk in the word of God, I become a fully devoted follower of Christ and I begin to proclaim the word of God, there is a promise that will come out of the text. The promise in this text is this. You will see results. Not of your own life, but in other people. And yet so often in our walk with Jesus, we get so nervous to proclaim the word of God because someone may not do anything with it. Well, the promise in the text is the majority of the people aren't going to do anything with the word of God that you have as you scatter it. But there's a deeper promise than that. The ones that you scatter it to and it falls on, it's going to produce a crop. A hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. But here's the deal. In the text, you and I aren't the ones that are plowing up the field. The field has already been plowed by Jesus. Now, we don't know what field he's plowed, but we do have the promise that he's doing a work in people. 
and it's our job to go scatter the seed. But we got to start with, where do you sit this morning? What heart do you have this morning? That is what he says to us, and he gives it to us in four ways. So he tells the parable, it's pretty simple in the text. Then in verses 10 through 17, he says to his disciples, hey, there's people that are going to get this, and there's people that aren't going to get this, but I promise you, if you're my disciple, you're going to get this. That's the Todd International Version. But, but he literally says, there are some that will hear and some that won't hear. But I promise this, you are my disciples, so you do hear this. And then they say, well, then please explain it, because what you just said, we don't get. And then Jesus, in verses 18 through the following, he tells them the parable. Here then, he says in verse 18, here then, the parable of the sower. And he says to them, there's four things. The first one is this. Do you have a hard heart this morning? Is your heart hardened this morning? Because that's what he says in the text. He says there's some seed that's going to fall along a path, and it's because it's so compacted or because it's so hard, the seed won't take any root at all. And he says, because it doesn't take any root at all, it fastly is devoured. It goes away really fast. So this morning for you and for me, do you have a hard heart? This is the easiest one of all of them. See, the, the two in the middle are kind of complicated. But this one is the easiest one because this one is simply this. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted him as the Lord of your life? If you haven't, here's the promise. You have a hard heart. It's really black and white. Like if you're here this morning and you're like, I do not believe in Jesus. I do not care about God. First, I'd encourage you to say, thank God you're here. Like thank God you walked in the building. But it would be a disservice to me to say, well, man, you, you must have a soft heart. No, if you don't know Jesus this morning, you have a very hard heart. And that might be the way you have to start. God, I pray that you would soften my heart. Because only he can do that. Only he can plow a hard heart. And so if you're here this morning, you're like, I don't believe Jesus. Thank God you're here, and this is where you sit. You have a hard heart. And I promise the seed continues to be scattered. But I promise this, if you have a hard heart, the birds will come and devour it. Quickly. You ever been to a field? I used to live at a farm. I know it's crazy. A city boy used to live on a farm, but I used to live on a farm in South Carolina. And I would remember them going and tilling the land, and then I remember them going out and scattering the seed. I mean, it was mechanical on a, a, a massive machine. But this is what I also remembered. Man, the birds would just go and, like, have a heyday in the field. And that is what it's like for you. Like the birds are just going to ravage the seed that has been sown to you. 
That's the easiest one. The second one is this. And this probably more than any of the four chairs this morning is the scariest one for me, for us. He says it this way. In the text, he says this. Go over to chapter 13, verse 18 through 20. He says, on going, he, he says, it snatches away and it's been sown into the heart. This is what it means to be sown on the path. Verse 20, as for what is sown in rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word of the Lord and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but it endures for a while when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. My greatest fear for us as a church is this. It's this seat. It's the one that has a very shallow heart. And we can read the text and think it's rocky and think of tribulation, but that's not really, it's lost in translation. What Jesus is saying in this passage is this, you, you've prayed a prayer and you've received it with joy. The moment you received it with joy, you went out and when life got too hard, you abandoned ship. I just, my greatest fear is this, that many of us have received God's word on very shallow soil. And then we think we have something that we really don't have. Like, we really think we have salvation, but he says in the text, just because you've received it, if it has not taken root and you fall away, you don't actually have what you think you have. My greatest fear is that many of us have had an emotional experience with God and our salvation, but not a heart transformation with it. One writer says it this way. He says, his feelings were changed, but not his soul. Being a youth pastor for as long as I was a youth pastor, it, it would drive me bonkers when we take our youth to any summer camp. And they would have that emotional experience at the end of summer camp, and they'd be weeping on the floor. But within like three or four days of them getting home, they were no different than what they were weeping over. Like I'd get phone calls from their parents like, Hey, Johnny, well, I don't know what experience he had at, at camp, but he ain't any different here at home. And that went on and on and on and on. And I just thought to myself, we can manipulate people's emotions to get results, but they're not true results. Again, that crazy-haired man in Houston, Joel Osteen, he knows how to manipulate people's emotions to think they have something they really don't have. My greatest fear is that for us, church. Are we sitting in this seat with shallow hearts? And at some point in your life, the seed was sown, and at some point you prayed a prayer. But when the trials and tribulations of life came, you withered and fell away. Jesus is going to tell us throughout the Gospels, then you had no salvation at all. Now, I know that's scary to hear. 
a prayer is not what gets you into heaven. That's not what gets you into heaven. It is a heart that's been changed that gets you into heaven. God does not care about your prayer. He does say those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart. But it's the believing in your heart that changes you. He didn't just say you have to confess me. He says you actually have to believe in me. Remember what James says about demons. Even demons confess, but they don't believe. Have you had just an emotional experience with the Lord? Because here's the promise in this text. And I say it here often. If you become a believer, there will be persecution. Paul tells us that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 23, he says, count the cost. Do you really want to be my disciple? Because if you want to be my disciple, it's going to get real bad. That doesn't sell many t-shirts. Like, you're not going to go like, man, sign me up for that. But that's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14. Here's what he says. Now great crowds accompanied him. And then he turned to them and said to them, like at this point in his earthly ministry, I wonder if he's just like, okay, you guys keep following me, but now I'm about to turn up the heat a little bit. Let me tell you what you follow me is really going to look like, what's really going to cost you. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, his mother, and his wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple." He says, you got to hate these people. Now, what he means is you don't have to hate them, but your love for me ought to look like you hate these people. And then he says in verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot what? Be my disciple. He says, for which of you desires to build a tower does not first sit down and what? Count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and it was not able to finish. Or what king going to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet the one who is coming against him with 20,000? Verse 32. And as not while the others is yet far off, he sends a delegation and asks in terms of peace, and then he says this, so therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Have you counted the cost? Because I promise this, coming to Jesus is going to cost you a whole lot. And so many of us, we come to Jesus and we want our life to be easier. We want our life to be better. And so often, it just doesn't happen that way. I've said this from this pulpit many times. It's because before you came to Jesus, you were not a threat to the kingdom of hell. Like Satan didn't need to woo you or entice you or come after you. He already had you. But the moment your allegiance went from him to him, Christ Jesus, 
again, I say this, not, not to cuss in the church, but all hell broke loose to come after you, to will you back to the place of darkness. And so many of us, when we are hit with persecution, what do we do? We run from Jesus. Has our seed of the gospel fell on shallow soil? Here's what another writer says about counting the cost. The true test of discipleship is not whether or not one receives the gospel with joy at a a debatable time in history. He says that's not what it's about. It's not just about receiving that moment of joy. The true test of discipleship is whether or not one picks up his cross and follows Jesus, not for one day, or for two weeks, or three months, or four years, but until Jesus calls him home. Did you catch that? He said it's not just about the joy that you received at your salvation, but the true test is whether or not you will daily pick up your cross and follow him all the way until Christ Jesus returns or calls you home. Has your heart been shallow and not truly received the gospel. That's my greatest fear for us here at Powell's Chapel. It's not this third one, though many of us may have it. The third one is a worldly heart. A worldly heart. This is where the thorns come into play. He he says this in the passage. Says in verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, that's not trials and tribulations. He's going to tell us what the thorns are. This is the one who hears the word, but what? The cares of the world. And the deceitfulness of riches choke out the world and proves unfaithful. This is what it is, the cares of the world. The cares of the world are the riches of the world. The money, the jobs, the cars, the the whatever it is that makes you happy, that you think makes you happy. Jesus is saying, hey, there's some of you here in this crowd that the seed fell there, and when the, the desires of the world came about, you fell away too. Remember what Jesus says. In Matthew 6, 24, in the greatest sermon ever preached, he says this, no one can serve two masters. For either he will what? Hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. No one can what? Serve God and money. What Jesus is saying here, and he's saying to the crowd, is many of you love money more than you love me. Many of us would say in this room, no, no, that's not me. But you've heard the analogy before. Show me your pocketbook, show me your bank account, show me your checkbook, I'll tell you what you love. Show me your calendar, I'll tell you what you love. I'm not just talking this morning about your money. I'm talking about your talents, your gifts, your ability, and your money. Is your life so oriented around the things of the world? Or is your life so oriented around the things of God? Where is your heart? 
Your money, your calendar, your bank account will reveal your heart. I'm not, I, I'm not saying this to, to make you give more money. I could care less if you give money or not. I care if you're obedient. Here's what I know to be true. This church has gone on for 150 years. It doesn't need your money. It needs your obedience. It does not need your money. How do I know that? Because people in China don't, can't give two pennies. And the church in China is growing exponentially in a way that the American church is not. Why? Not because of money, because of obedience and because of persecution. So this is not me trying to twist your arm to give this more money in that bucket in the back. I could care less about that. Keep your money. But you better have an obedient heart. Because if you don't, then you will have two masters. And I promise this, you cannot serve both God and money. Both God and the world. That's what Jesus says. That's not Todd. That is what Jesus himself says. So this morning, so far, do you have a hardened heart? Do you have a shallow heart? Or do you have a worldly heart? I want to spend the rest of our time on the heart that really matters. This is what we call a receptive heart. A heart that's ready to receive the gospel this morning. And a heart that's ready to do something with what it's received. Now here's the deal. When you hear this passage, you're like, oh man, 30-fold, that's not that big of a deal. 60-fold, I want to be the guy of 100-fold. But here's the deal. What Jesus was talking to was this. These people were in Palestine. It was a desert. So it was not like the heart of America. It was not like in Iowa where you just put out some seed, and it just grows like crazy. That wasn't it. What was said back in the day was if you put a seed into the ground, if you did for every 10 seed you did, you might get 8% back. That's not good. Like anyone's like, hey, sign me up for that. I'm a farmer. I want 8% of the return. But that was like an amazing crop then. So when the people would hear, hey, if you put this seed of the gospel in your life, you, I promise, you at least get 30% back. They were like, man, sign me up for that. Like, that's a guaranteed return. How many of us want to put our money in guaranteed returns? Right? Like, anyone's like, ah, man, I'll just, like, play the stock. I don't know if it's going to come back. You're like, man, you ask your stock guy, Hey, what's the, like, what's the closest guarantee I'm getting money back? You're like, ah, sign me up for that. And Jesus said, I promise this. If you have a receptive heart and the gospel falls into that 30% return. And that's the, the, that's the bottom line. Then he says, but some of you have 60%. Some of you have a hundredfold back. So it's not like, oh, 30% is bad. He's like, no, it just gets better. The odds get better. But he says you have to have a heart that's ready to receive the gospel. Jesus is saying to us, no matter what, his word will always produce something. That always reminds us what Isaiah told us in chapter 55. 
Remember, the prophet Isaiah had been spoken to God, and God says this about his word himself in Isaiah 55:11. He'd already given the context around uh, the, the, the story was about, hey, this is what happens when I do things. He's talking about rain. He's talking about produce. It's all an analogy, and he leads us to verse 11. He says, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not, what, return empty or void to me. But it shall, what, accomplish all that I purpose and shall succeed in the things which I sent it for. You see, God's doing the one that's going to do the plowing, so when his seed falls in a receptive heart, it will produce something in your life. Remember what I said at the beginning. But if we simply do not have receptive hearts, then we won't take the seed of the gospel to other people. And if we don't take the seed of the gospel to other people, then what? There won't be a 30, 60, 100-fold result. You're here not because, I would think, because you, you read something in the sky. Like somebody at some point in your life sowed the gospel message into your heart, whether it was from a platform like this or a one-on-one conversation. Somebody had the courage to believe that God could do something with his word to implant it in you. That's why you're here. Whether it's from a preacher or from a friend or from a mom or a dad. So here's the deal. Because God's word will never come back void, this is the promise of a receptive heart. God's word will always, always be planted so it can have roots. And roots will always, and we said this on Wednesday night, if you have a good root system, you will have a good fruit system. If your roots are good, you will produce something. This is what Jesus Or the psalmist through the word of God says in Psalm chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seats of scoffers. But what? Verse 2. But delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates on it day and night. So the person, the psalmist says, the person that delights himself in the law of God, the word of God, meditates on the word of God, is what, in verse 3, he says this, is like a tree planted by streams of water. Because he's saying the root system got into a place where it is a tree that is planted by streams of what? Water. And what does Jesus say about himself in John 4? He is living water. So when we plant ourselves into the Word of God, the Word of God, it says, John himself says this, Jesus is the Word of God. So when our roots get into the Word of God, Jesus himself, he says, you are like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And its leaves do not wither. Meaning when persecution comes, you will not wither. Not because of you. Not even because of your roots, but because where your roots are getting its nourishment from, the living water. Are you rooted in Christ Jesus? He says this, 
and all that he does, he will prosper. If you and if I put my root system in the living water of Jesus Christ, I will not wither and I will prosper. Now, prosper in the text doesn't mean you'll get everything you want when you want. Prosper just means you'll see your way through the persecution. And then Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17 is all about, and we talked about this Wednesday night, there's this bush back then called the, the juniper bush. The juniper bush had no root system. Matter of fact, what would happen was the juniper bush, when it would begin to take root, instead of the, the roots going down, the roots would go out. So it would spread its roots all over the place. It just wouldn't go down deep enough to get any nutrients. And so what would happen, the juniper bush next to it, if we have a root system that gets entangled with other roots, what happens to all the trees? They die out. Roots can't go sideways. Roots must go down. And so that's what Jeremiah is talking about. He's talking about if you just love the things of the world, you've got a root system that goes horizontal, not vertical. He says, but if you have a root system that goes vertical, this is what happens. Vertical roots do this. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like what? A tree planted by water. And it sends its roots out by the stream. And it does not fear when the heat comes. It does not fear when persecution comes. It leaves, its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to what? Bear fruit. Even in trials, even in persecution, your life will produce fruit. Well, what is the fruit that he's talking about? Paul makes it super clear in Galatians chapter 5. If you want to know where your root system is, look up in your tree, see if these things are in your tree, and all these must be in there. He says it this way, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the man, or the fruit of the woman that is walking with Jesus, this is what their life will look like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its desires. So as you're sitting here this morning, has your seed of the gospel fell in a receptive heart that has good soil? The way you're going to know that, look up in your tree. Do you, and all these fruit must be present. Do you have love in your life? Do you have joy in your life? Do you have peace in your life? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Because if you have those things in your life, then you are a man or a woman that the seed of the gospel is taking root and taking root into Jesus. Jesus is the one that will produce those things in you. Because the living water will come up through the roots into the tree and produce those things in you. You won't have to produce those things. You won't have to produce love. You won't have to produce joy. You won't have to produce peace. 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You won't have to do that because, as a matter of fact, you can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. But all hinges on, do you have the soil that's receptive for the gospel daily to produce those things in you? And this is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. And he's talking about the gospel. And this is the promise that he says. He says, the gospel which has come to you, Christ who has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, the whole world is not meaning unbelievers. The whole world is meaning the church, the believers. The whole world, the church, is bearing fruit. And it is what? Increasing. Are these things not only in your life, but are they increasing in your life? Because if that is true, if you have the increasing spiritual uh, fruit of the Spirit in your life, then you know where you sit today. So here's the deal. Where do you sit today? Are you an unbeliever that has a hard heart? Are you someone that came to Jesus and when persecution came, you fell away from him? Are you here today and you care more about the things of the, the world than the one who gave the things of the world? Are you a man or a woman that's sitting with good soil that's producing the fruit of the Spirit? Because then he says in the text, then you will become a sower of the Word of God. That's what you want to do. When you produce something, as I wish Eric was here. Eric is so proud of those tomatoes he, he grew. He loves those things. He wants to give them away. Because he's so proud of them. When you have that in your life, and you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you can't help but to give it away. And here's the promise of the gospel. You may not know where that seed falls. Yes, the promise is this. Some of the seed of the gospel that you sow will fall on hard hearts. Some of the seed of the gospel will fall on those places and those men and women who have rocky soil that love the things of the world more than God. And when tribulation comes, they bail out. Some of it may fall on those that love money more than but here's the promise. There are some that when you share the seed of the gospel will fall on hearts that are receptive. All God is asking us to do is now that it's been sown in us to go sow what's been sown to us, to others. Leave the results up to Him. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How will they ever hear if they're not sent? How will they ever repent if they ever hear? It's up to us. If you have received the gospel this morning, you ought to be overjoyed to bring that gospel message to other people. And please do not be discouraged. Yes, I promise this. Some will fall on these three. But some will fall on a receptive heart. That's who I am. Like you're only listening to me because there was a guy my senior year of high school that shared the gospel message with me. He's the first guy in my life to have the courage to sit me down and share. He told me this, man, you have a wicked hard heart. 
He told me that. I'm like, man, you don't want to be with anymore, I guess. But then he began to share Jesus with me. And it took, a, it took almost that entire year of my senior year of high school. He kept sowing the seed of the gospel. Kept telling me about Jesus over and over and over again. Until one day in the spring, God had softened my heart in such a way because of this man's faithfulness, God and his faithfulness to me, that that seed fell. For a year, I promise this, it fell on a hard heart. But God began to do a work in my life because of this one man's faithfulness and kindness to me. I'm here because of him. And you're hearing from me because of him. You may never meet Court, but it's because of Court Bush that I sit in this podium today preaching the gospel message to people. You don't know who or what God is going to do with the message. You don't know who or what will happen with the message you take. There's an old man in a pickup truck, they say, that confronted this punk teenage kid and shared with him the gospel message. He didn't believe it. But one day that guy, that little kid in that pickup truck in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina, heard the message of Jesus and accepted the message. Nobody believed in him. Nobody thought he could do anything. But this one old man saw something in this young man that knew he needed Jesus. And he gave him the gospel. And he received the gospel. That little guy grew up, went to high school, went on to Bob Jones University for a year, then went up to Wheaton College, spent the rest of his time at Wheaton College in in, uh, Chicago, Illinois, graduated, and then started preaching the God's word. Started going all over the U.S. evangelizing, just sharing the gospel message with people. Now, back in North Carolina, nobody knew his name. That little man went to school, preached God's word, started preaching not just in the U.S., but then preached all over the world. His name is Billy Graham. We only know about Billy Graham, not because of Billy Graham, because of one man's faithfulness to God to share the message in a truck driving down a a dirt road in North Carolina. We don't know who or what, or how God's going to use the message you send to people. But I promise this, he will. Remember, 30-fold, 60-fold. Billy Graham's one of the 100-fold. Maybe you're just the 30-fold. Maybe I'm only going to be a 30-fold. I have no idea. I got big dreams for this church. I got big dreams for the people of God in this church. That you will take the message, and in taking the message to the world, we'll see a lost and dying world come to know Jesus. So again, in closing, here's what I know to be true. When that last brick of the gospel is planted in that last man or woman, Jesus will return. He hasn't returned because his mission is not over. And it's our call by God to take the gospel to every man, woman, and child on this planet. But it starts with us in this room, us in this neighborhood, take it to the world. Where is it falling on you? Where are you this morning? Let me pray for us.